Good morning. Well, after one year of studying the gospel according to Matthew, here we are on Easter Sunday looking at Matthew's account of the resurrection story. He is risen. Mary Magdalene is a major character in this account, in Matthew's account, but I'm not going to spend much time talking about Mary Magdalene today because Mary McLean is going to speak next Sunday about Mary Magdalene's place in the resurrection story. Today I simply want to look at several themes that I believe Matthew wanted his readers to be encouraged by in his telling of the resurrection story. Matthew began with the religious leaders going to Pilate, who was the Roman governor who had sentenced Jesus to be crucified, and they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. I can't help but wonder what Matthew was thinking as he recorded Pilate's response. Pilate said, you have a guard of soldiers, go and make it as secure as you can. Matthew might have been thinking, yeah, right. Go ahead, give it your best shot. And they did. The Pharisees made it as secure as they could. Pilate would have assisted them because Pilate would have been extremely motivated. He, was not, he did not want another mob scene happening, but this time shouting, he is risen, instead of crucify him. So in verse 60, we're told that a great stone was rolled against the entrance of the tomb, which was a common custom in those days as protection against animals and people. Typically, these were enormous stones that would have required several men to move them. And this one may have been even bigger just as a precaution. In verse 66, we're told that they sealed the stone. It was likely a cord stretched across the stone and then sealed at each end with a Roman seal in the presence of the Roman guards. To break a Roman seal was a high crime. And they, people who broke such things would have been facing the wrath of Rome. In verses 65 to 66, we're also told that Pilate provided a, provided a guard of soldiers to be on duty at the tomb. Four was the normal number of Roman guards for a Roman guard assignment, and they all would have been fully armed. The punishment for failure at a guard post was death. And so you can believe that the fear of such punishment typically resulted in soldiers faultlessly carrying out their duty. That's how the, the chief priests and the Pharisees made it as secure as they could. Then all went silent for a day. Jesus in the ground. A seed buried. But something was about to come forth. Let's read Matthew verses 28, 1 to 15. Now, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, which will appear behind me. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, 
For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The first thing that occurs to me as I read this story is, where were Jesus' 11 disciples? Matthew only speaks of these two devoted women. It's important to remember that the Gospel of Matthew was written primarily for a Jewish audience. And in Jewish culture, in Matthew's day, women had a very low status in the social structure of the Jewish people. And they weren't even considered an admissible witness in legal matters. They couldn't be used as witnesses. And yet Matthew unapologetically wrote that These two women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. That would have been a huge mistake if Matthew had been trying to fabricate this story in a credible way. If Matthew had wanted to fabricate a credible story, why use nothing more than two female witnesses? No, no, he would have used nothing but male witnesses and preferably men of high stature. So the fact that he described two female witnesses actually makes it sound more likely that Matthew was not making this up. Then consider the ridiculousness of the chief priest's game plan for how to respond to the report from the guards, the report about the earthquake that occurred as an angel descended and moved the stone. Matthew wrote that they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Tell people that a small band of frightened disciples who were mere fishermen, etc., from, from, from the backwoods of Galilee, who had fled at the first sign of danger when Jesus was arrested, had the courage to risk a fight with a squad of Roman guards who happened to all be asleep break a Roman seal, and then quietly move that huge stone. Shh, don't wake the guards. 
all so that they could steal a body of a man whom they had put so much hope in, but who is now dead. Uh huh. Yeah, that's the ticket. That's what we'll say. Because armed Roman guards are typically that careless and that clueless about duties that they've been given for which they'll be killed if they don't carry them out properly. No, not. How and why would those depressed and fearful disciples have had the courage to do all that for what they knew was a lie? Why would they have done that? Why would they have done that for a savior that they knew was dead? Why would they have risked their own lives for that? Why would Peter, who was a leader among them, have even wanted to attempt such a thing when he was probably depressed about the fact that he had, he had denied knowing Jesus three times on the night of Jesus' trial. Well, they didn't attempt such a thing. They never would have attempted such a thing. And yet even though the chief priests had made the tomb as secure as they could, they couldn't stop Jesus from rising from the dead on that glorious morning. Jesus overcame all obstacles. And I invite you to believe today that on this Easter Sunday, if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you through his Spirit who dwells in you. That's what the Bible says. That's how Jesus, it's how Jesus can overcome the obstacles to God's plans being accomplished in your life. That's why the angel invited those two women to come see what God has done. The angel said to the two women at the tomb, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. What is it that we're invited to see as God invites us today to draw near to this precious scene and contemplate the resurrection of Jesus? It was like Matthew was opening curtain after curtain after curtain to show his readers what he excitedly wanted them to come and see. He wanted them to see joy as he described the woman's responses as they left the tomb. He wanted to introduce them to the resurrected Jesus whom the women worshipped when they saw him. And he wanted them to see the love of Jesus as he described how Jesus referred to his flawed and fearless disciples as my brothers. Let's pray. Father, it is such an honor to, to share your thoughts and look at your thoughts in your word to do with this amazing scene. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to grasp the huge significance of it and the huge impact it's meant to have on our lives. In Jesus' name. The first thing we'll open the curtains for is joy. Although joy is not the first emotion that Matthew records in this story, fear is. When the women saw the angel, the first thing the angel said to them was, do not be afraid. 
Matthew described the angel's appearance as being like lightning. And his clothing was white as snow. I just can't imagine that. It's very difficult to imagine a, a heavenly being who appears like lightning before your eyes. And I'm not sure how we'd react if we saw such a heavenly being standing before us. I think I'd be terrified. Especially if I had just felt the earth quake just before I had arrived at the place where this heavenly being appeared. What an amazing scene. These women had come to this place in the cold, gray light of dawn in great grief. Expecting to find a lifeless corpse that they wanted to anoint with spices so that they could somehow honor this amazing man whom they had loved so much, but who is now dead. And now this spectacular angel stunned their senses with his glorious light while speaking so gently, saying, do not be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen, as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Amidst the fear and the confusion and the questioning, these words must have begun to restore a hint of warmth. The beginnings of a tentative joy to these grieving, shivering, frightened women. Can you just imagine this glorious angel kindly welcoming them to take a peek? Come on. Come see. And what they saw was an empty tomb. Matthew then tells us that the women departed quickly, so excited about what they had seen and heard. The angel was no longer what amazed them, but it was the incredible news they had heard, what they had seen in that tomb, an empty tomb that now amazed them. Matthew wrote that they were now feeling fear and great joy and wanted to tell Jesus' 11 disciples. The Greek word there for great is megos, where we get the word Mega. So you can honestly say that these women felt mega joy. Matthew's resurrection story tells us that God wants to say to each of us, Come, come, see what I can do so that I can cause you mega joy. When I was in high school, I was not following Jesus. I'd become a Christian earlier, but I had sort of slipped, lost some ground, was slipped away. I wasn't really following him anymore. And a friend of mine who'd come from a pretty rough home life, his home was pretty rough, things weren't well in his home, and he was continually depressed. You could just see it on his face. His face was like a shadow all the time. Even dark circles under his eyes some, night, some days because of the nights that he'd endured. And... That's just how I knew him. That's just the way he was all the time. And then I still remember, I can picture him now. I still remember the first days that I noticed when he came to school as a Christian. He'd become a Christian. And his face glowed. Like there was no longer a shadow on his face. It was like his face glowed. And he was happy. He wasn't continually depressed anymore. And, and I asked him, I said, what's, what's happened to you? And he said, I became a Christian. I said, oh, 
So? Because I'd given up on Christianity. And he told me about this risen Savior that he'd met. He told me about the relationship he had with Jesus. Not just going to church and doing religious things. He had met a personal Savior. And that Savior had filled him with joy. Well, his joy spilled over into my life. It was because of his joy. The change in him was a major reason. I decided to give my life back over to Jesus and follow him. God wants us to be so full of joy that our joy will spill over to others. And it will make us eager to tell others what we've seen God do. But what if you're not feeling joy right now? What if some of us in this room aren't feeling joy today? Then come and see some more. Try to imagine this scene. The women have just left the tomb. I can imagine them excitedly running toward Jerusalem. I don't know if women typically ran in those days. Uh, I don't know if it was a dignified thing to do. But they were running and, and, and laughing and crying, I expect, as they hurried along. And then they turned around a corner toward one of Jerusalem's gates. And suddenly, there's Jesus. The shock. The joy, the love that would have welled up in them as they saw Jesus and Jesus met them and said, greetings. Greetings? Is that, is that all he can say? Greetings, hello. No. It just so happens that amidst the many familiar greetings that were used in those days, Jesus chose the word shiret. Shiret is a word which means it's, it's a wish of joy upon a person. This same word is tr- that's translated greetings just three times in the New Testament is translated rejoice 42 times. It was a greeting that was meant to extend joy to the person you meet. And these two joyful women, the first person to see the resurrected Jesus, fell at his feet and worshipped. That is actually the only truly appropriate Response that one can have when we encounter the resurrected Jesus. And the reason the resurrected Jesus caused these women such joy was because he was suddenly in their lives once again. <laughs> he is alive. He is real. They could touch him. Now we may not be able to physically touch Jesus today, but we can experience him. We can encounter him. We can sometimes Encounter him in something as simple as when God, simple ways that, that can be quite unexpected at times. Simple ways that, that don't feel that profound, but they are profound. I remember one morning I was preaching on a Sunday. It was, it was this year actually, it was 2018, sometime a couple months ago. I was sitting in the front row during the worship time and I was tired. I don't know if I'd stayed up too late preparing or just had a bad sleep, but I was so tired. And I just decided to sit down. I wasn't discouraged or feeling down or anything. I was just weary. And I sat down in the front row there and I just put my head in my hands. and was just soaking in the worship as the worship continued. And then I looked up from, that, from leaning forward. I just kind of looked up. And you know Lyndon, Jim and Carla's little Lyndon, he dances sometimes at the front here with flags. He turned and he looked at me, and our eyes locked together. We stared at each other for about two or three seconds, just staring at each other. 
And then suddenly he stepped forward and gave me this big hug. And then stepped back, stared at me for a second, and then went back to flagging. I thought, I've just been hugged by Jesus. I feel better. That was an encounter with Jesus. People don't naturally... I mean, the fact that you're even here this morning, people don't naturally want to get up early on cold Sunday mornings and come to meetings. I don't think that's a natural thing that the human body wants to do. I'm not a morning person. But the Holy Spirit gives us a desire to be here. I believe the reason anybody is here this morning is because God wants to encounter you. God wants to encounter you personally this morning. He loves you. He put a desire in your heart to be here this morning. You're here today because God wants you to encounter him in the midst of the worship here. And as we spend time looking into God's word. But we can encounter Jesus anywhere. Often, when, and how we least expect it. So, we're so sure we want that, that God wants to do this in our lives. That we even host ministry weekends, like Peter mentioned, the set free retreats, which we used to call encounter God retreats. Because we knew that people would encounter God on those weekends. And people would be set free on those weekends. We have them twice a year. And I encourage you to attend one if you haven't attended one. I encourage you to attend one if you have attended one. Because they make an impact on our lives because we encounter Jesus there. The next one's coming in September. Please pray about being a part of it. Matthew then invited his readers to come and see that the resurrected Jesus was willing to refer to those flawed and frightened disciples who hadn't even come out of hiding yet as my brothers. That's because the Jesus whom these women encountered is the same God whom the Bible says is love. God is love. And Matthew sums up that love with two words when he says, my brothers. That's because, well, we know this applies to sisters as well because, because the first followers who Matthew shows as being comforted and encouraged and even meeting the resurrected Jesus were two women. This is the kind of love that, that forgives us and embraces us in the midst of our fear and in the midst of our failures. The disciples had all abandoned Jesus so quickly, both the men and the women, but, but some of them were there at the cross. It was the ladies who were there at the cross. We know that God's love is for us all. Peter had even denied knowing Jesus, but Jesus still referred to him as my brother. The message of the resurrection that Matthew has shared with us is that we don't have to be perfect because we have a Savior who's perfect. A Savior who took upon himself the punishment that we deserved for our rebellion against God by allowing himself to be sacrificed on that cross. And Jesus' resurrection proves that God the Father accepted that perfect sacrifice. 
Jesus paid the penalty for our sins so that we can be forgiven for every blunder, for every flaw, for every sin in our lives. And his resurrection not only means that that sacrifice was accepted, but that, but that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead allows us to walk in newness of life with him. That's what the Bible tells us. That's why Jesus so eagerly invites us to come, see my love. Because while we were still sinners, he died for us to demonstrate it. I have no doubt that there are people in this room this Easter morning or who are watching online who struggle to believe that Jesus could love and accept you. And who long for a fresh start. The chance to walk in that newness of life that that verse I quoted in the Bible speaks about. Well, whether you've known Jesus for years and are simply struggling with doubts or you have never known Jesus, I invite you to come. See the resurrected Jesus who longs, he longs to give you his joy as you encounter him personally and experience his love this Easter morning.